Would you open up in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 14? We're going to be at Second Chronicles chapter 14. Last week, we looked at, can you hear the wisdom? Mature people can hear the wisdom of God, but to the unsaved and the immature Christian, God's wisdom will seem like foolishness. If you want to have people that will help you the most when you need support, you need to have people that have spiritual maturity behind them. They're the ones that are going to help you out the most. The immature Christian, though they want to do things, will generally walk out on you when they're going get stuff. It's not even always have anything against you. It's just they're not ready for what they're facing. And they leave. But the spiritually, the spiritually mature, they're the ones that are able to withstand and to stand up. So we ask this question for you here. How is maturity measured? How can we measure maturity? You know, it's always good if you can measure things to figure out what's going on. They say if you're going to have a project going on, measure twice, cut once. You've all heard that, that terminology used. That if you make sure you have the right measurement, you'll make sure you have the right cut. But if you have the wrong measurement, then the cut won't come up right. So we have to make sure that we, we measure right. How do we measure spiritual maturity? We're going to look at a couple of verses before we get into the text here of Chronicles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31, For you all can... For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Mature people are not compelled to speak. They are led. That is one of the things that you will be able to measure the maturity of a person. Spiritually mature people are not compelled to speak. They are led. Very often you'll see people in the church who feel like the spirit of prophecy has come on them. Some kind of a prophetic word has come upon them. I just have to give this. That is a spiritually immature person. They do not know that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Not just in prophecy, but in all the other things. Most of the time in the Word of God, how is it that people got themselves into trouble? With their mouth. They opened their mouth and they spoke doubt. They spoke unbelief. One of the poster children for this is that guy who was at the gate who said, how can this thing be to the prophet? If the windows of heaven were opened up, this would not happen. And the prophet said to him, well, you're going to hear about it, but you won't see it. And he was trampled the next day when the news came and all this plenty was, was there. And he got trampled down upon it. Other people may have been thinking the same thing, but he's the one who said it. Be careful what you say. There are people who will say, well, I just have to say this. And they'll speak it. No, you don't. You actually don't have to say it. There are times you need to just keep your mouth shut. 
there are times that you may know something in the Word that would affect a thing a person is doing, but God has not given you clearance to say it. Don't you be saying that. There are many times Jesus was ministering to the people in the towns he was in, and he had wisdom to share with them, but he only spoke the things the Father told him. He didn't speak the things because he knew it's not going to be good. That's not going to be right. There's other times he spoke things that was very hard for them to hear. Sometimes they, they walked away. But the Spirit of God told him to do it. When a mature person speaks, they speak things that bring peace, clarity, and growth. A mature person, when they speak, they will bring peace, clarity, and growth. There will be a peace about their words. You all know people. No matter what they do, they seem they open their mouth, they just stir up trouble. Strife. People get angry. People get mad. They just have a way of coming in and just messing with it. But seeing mature, no, all right, that might cause some trouble, but it won't cause any good. So I'm not going to say it. And see, the mature person can tone that down. Now, Wednesday we were talking about uh, some words that were used in the New Testament about taming, about bringing something wild under control. You can go back and, and listen to that if you like to. But the mature people, what they speak will bring peace, clarity, and growth. Immature are often compelled to speak. Well, I just have to tell you this. Well, I just have to say this. And they'll just blurt it out. It doesn't matter if it's going to do any good. It doesn't, they don't try and check it out. Well, I wonder if this is going to do any good. We, we don't care about it, whether it does any good or not. I just got to say it. I got to let people know. So that's not a mature person. Now, I'm not saying don't have those people on your team. You're going to have some immature people on the team, but the ones that are going to carry you through, the ones that are going to help you the most, are the ones who are mature. They're the ones that you need. So immature are often compelled to speak, and what they speak, what the immature speak, leads to confusion, division, and control. Immature people like to control things. The more mature a person is, the more they've realized, I don't have to control this. I can just, you can make your own decision. Other people let me make my own decision. And I was able to grow by that happening, by that going on. But immature people, they want to control everything. Because if I can control what it is that you're doing, then maybe I can help you grow. No, we help people to grow by letting them make their own decisions, by giving them freedom. That's how you help them to grow. That's one way that you can tell. So here's one measurement of it we get from here. Maturity can be measured by these four things. The first one is what you speak to others. What you speak to others. The words that you speak to others. The words that other people speak to other people. These are things, they will identify them. Watch people. Watch yourself. How am I speaking to other people? That is a measure. That is a measure I can use to measure my own maturity. The more I can get that under control of the Spirit of God, the more I can, can uh, temper that with the things that God wants to do and not be compelled, then we're our, our better off. We're walking in more maturity. So the, the first thing is what you speak to others. Here's the second one. It comes from 1 Corinthians 14.20. There's other places in the Scripture that you can see this too. I just want to 
give you a foundation for each one, but I'm sure other verses are coming to mind as we talk about this. 1 Corinthians 14.20 Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. See, there are some things you ought to be mature in and some things you ought to just let go right over your head. And one of those things is malice. Do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. Here's the second area. The things you speak to yourself. What you speak to yourself. You can also classify this as your thoughts. Or sometimes, how many people here talk to yourself? Anybody do that? Nobody else is in the house, but you're talking to yourself. Yeah, we talk to ourselves. It's a good thing to do. May as well talk to yourself. Your words, you've heard other people preach this, but your words are the most valuable in your life. In fact, your words will override the words of God. The words that you speak in your life will override the words of God. Now, there's plenty of places you can get to that in the the Word, but we're just going to let that go for right now. But speak to yourself. Do not be children understanding, however, in malice be babes. When you hear something going on that your mind begins to think, oh, they're against me. Oh, they're thinking bad things. Oh, they're saying things. Oh, they're doing things against me. And your mind begins to go. You begin to talk to yourself based on those thoughts. Well, why is this person doing this? Why is God letting this happen? And your thoughts begin to go wild. The words that you speak to others is a measure, but the words you speak to yourself is also a measure. Make sure you control the thoughts that are in your life. Don't be thinking bad thoughts about the people that are around you. Don't let accusations come about the people that are around you. No, I am not going to take part of the thoughts that the accuser of the brethren wants me to have. I'm not going to do it. I'm staying away from those things. And stay away. The words that you speak to yourself. So two measurements are, first off, the words, what we speak to others. Secondly, what we speak to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, and, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Here's the third and fourth area how maturity can be measured. This is not the only measurements, but these are just four measurements that you can have. You can measure your own maturity in your life. The words I say to others. The words I say to myself. And here's third and fourth. The things that I pick up and or put away. The things that you pick up and the things that you put away. These will measure your maturity. We're going to see that here in this in the story that we have. It is hard for those who are immature to put away selfishness. It is hard for those that are immature to put away saying whatever they feel. It is hard for those that are immature to put away feeling insecure. It's hard for those that are immature to stop being suspicious of others, to put that away. They have a hard time putting away their difficulty with trusting or being controlling or needing to do it all. These are things that immature people have a hard time putting away. We've got to put away the childish things. We've got to pick up the mature things. 
the things that I pick up and the things that I put away, these will measure my maturity level. Well, I don't do that anymore. I don't play with that anymore. You know, when you were young, there were some things that you played with a great deal. When you were young, there were certain sounds that you would make when you were playing. But as you grew up, eventually you outgrew those sounds. You outgrew those toys. You outgrew those things that you did things with. And you picked up others. You found out, oh, I can really enjoy this. Because you're growing and maturing. So I put it, I'll sum up this for you this way. The measure of maturity, what I speak to others, what I speak to myself, and what I pick up or put away. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, and what I pick up or put away. These four things will help you measure your maturity and also let you know the maturity of the people that are around you. The more mature I am, the more mature things I do, and resist the immature things. All right, with that in mind, Second Chronicles chapter 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now notice this, the land was quiet for ten years. Most times these kingdoms are based upon, are we at war, are we at peace? Are people trying to take our stuff? Or is our stuff secure? Is our stuff safe? The guy before him was not a great king. There were a lot of problems with him. But this guy, Asa, he's a, he's a good king. And as soon as he takes the throne, he's got ten years of peace going on. Ten years of peace. And for the most part, we could look at this and say, well, he's doing pretty good. Now, he reigns for 41 years. He has ten years of peace. If you, if we know from the Word of God he reigned for 41 years and we know that he had 10 years of peace, what can you assume happened at year 10? There was war. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, there would have been 11 years of peace or 12 years of peace. So we know that at 10 years, there is war. Now, here's the problem. And this is what happens with immature Christians. Immature Christians will go through a period, say, 10 years of peace, and then have war break out, and the immature Christian will say, what did I do? What did I do? What, why did this come upon me? What did I do? Have you ever had a period of time in your life where things seemed to be going really well, and then all of a sudden they weren't? And you didn't get any warning. You didn't know from the Bible we, that uh, Max had 10 years of things going really well. And then. <laughs> no, you're going through and everything's going really well and then all of a sudden it's not. And something happens. Something goes on in your life. Maybe a war breaks out. Maybe something happens on your job. Maybe a sickness comes upon you. Something, something goes on. And uh, it doesn't mean that God sent it. It doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. If this nation has 10 years where nothing bad is going on, what probably happens to the amount of money that they have in store? 
You don't have to spend it on going to war. You don't have people coming and trying to take your stuff. So your stuff can increase. If your stuff increases over a 10-year period, how many of you would, might, might think that the enemy would look at this and say, Ooh, money, stuff. Let's go get it. And see, there's nothing that God did that made that come about. People just decided, you got stuff, we want stuff, we're going to take your stuff. And they decided to pick a fight. And we can get all upset. See, the immature will look at this and say, well, I must have done something. I guess I wasn't worshiping God the way that I should. Well, I guess I should have done this over here. If it was something that they did along those lines, then why, after a bad king's reign, did it not happen then? Why did it wait 10 years? And during this 10 years, Asa is getting the land in shape. He is doing good things in the land. He is changing some things that had been undone. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That is a key verse. If you want a verse to put on your refrigerator, that's a good verse to put right there because what a lot of Christians do, and especially immature Christians, they do what is right in their eyes. How many times have you heard Christians say this? Well, I don't think God would... I don't really care what you think. What's the Word say? What does the Word of God say? Well, yeah, but I don't think that God would really... We don't care what you think. We care what the Word says. What you think should be based on the Word, but you're immature. So what you think is not based on the Word. It's based on what you feel, what you would like to happen. What your own human compassion feels should happen. These are the things that move you. These are the things that, that usher you in. That's not how we should be. He did what was right in God's eyes. You're gonna, that verse will have more meaning as we go through. Verse 3. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under, <clears throat> under him. You see, what he is doing is he is picking up good things and he is putting away bad. Remember the measure of the maturity? He is picking up mature things he is putting away childish things now bring this bring this home for you you got to be thinking we read this a lot of times in the sour he got rid of the high places i mean big deal he got rid of the idols uh, so what uh, i mean i don't we don't have any idols we don't have any high places we don't really know what that means these were things that the people liked these were things that the people enjoyed they had come to a place of enjoyment with them they had enjoyed sacrificing to these idols they liked some of the ceremonies that were around there so try and bring this down to, to where you are at. Think of all of the restaurants. That are, how many people like to go out to eat? Anybody not like to go out to eat? All right, only one. Now what if we had a new person who took over the country and they decided 
that they were just going to have an edict. No more eating out. All restaurants will close. Now, he may do this based on the fact that we don't like the kind of food that people are eating when they're eating out, and we think they ought to eat healthier. We're going to force them to eat healthier, and we're going to make them cook food at home. That won't work good for some people, because they don't know how to cook. But if he were to do something like this, how many people think that the people of this country would love that decision? How many would get behind that decision? And after he made that decision, what if he went on and said, the people in this country are spending too much time doing non-productive things. So we are going to close down all of the bowling alleys. We're going to close down all of the sports complexes. We are going to close down all of the TV stations. We are going to shut cable down. And in fact, we are only going to let you get on the internet one hour a day. <clears throat> now, how many think that would go over really well? Anybody think this would, that everybody would really enjoy this? Oh yeah, this is good. Oh, this is going to force me to get into doing... No, there would be some kickback. There would be some people that are upset. And they would, whoever was, was doing these things, they would feel that kickback. They would feel people getting upset. People begin to march in the streets. And people begin to say, we want our restaurants. We want our sports complexes. We want our bowling alleys. We want our internet, whatever it might be. They would begin to say these things. That's what you're looking at here. He is taking something away that they spend a lot of time doing. They put a lot of time into going into these high places. They put a lot of time into going after these idols. They put a lot of time and they had a lot of confidence in the things that they would do in this area and now it's gone. They destroyed them. So he's getting some kickback. When he's going around the country putting away these things, there are people that are angry with him that are mad that he's doing this. And they don't think that it ought to be going on. So he's not doing something that everyone loves. There are some people who love it. There are some people who say, oh, bring back worship to, the, to Jehovah. Oh, bring back worship to the temple. Bring back all these things. Get rid of all these foreign idols. This is good. But there are people who, who fought against it and didn't like it. All this is going on during the ten years that they have no war. If after ten years of no war, and the person at the helm, the king here, see, king, he doesn't have he doesn't have Congress, he doesn't have to deal with the Senate and the House, and he doesn't have to deal with the judiciary. None of those things go on. He just makes a decision, and it goes. Everyone has to do it. So, all this is happening after ten years a bad thing happens and war breaks out. If you were one of the people who was upset at the things that the king took away, what would you be thinking? The reason that the war has come to us is because we have kicked out the gods that we worshipped. We have kicked out the idols that we once worshipped we tore down their high places and now we are not protected. 
we need to get back to what we were doing. Would that be a right conclusion? It would be a wrong conclusion, but it still would be one that they would make. And it's still one that people make today. Christians today make the conclusion, if something bad happens, I must have done something to bring it about. Jesus was dealing with this in the New Testament when he told the people, do you think that the people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell were worse sinners than on those that it didn't fall? He says, no, I tell you. But we all need to repent. He didn't even address the, the problem. Why did, it, why did it fall upon these? So they got the mentality, they got the thinking that only the people that the tower targeted for evil, he was, the tower was waiting until the right people were around. And then the tower said, all right, now it's time and we fall and we, we crush all these people. That's not how it happens. But he had done all these things. He removed the high places, the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. This is going against the pattern. This is going against the things that have been going on. So Asa removed the bad stuff. He put away the bad stuff. He built some fortresses. He built up the place. And you'll see that in verse 6. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. If you have no rest, maybe you can relate to this. I'll throw it out there and see if you can. If you have no war going on at all, is that the time to invest in fortified cities? I'll put it to you this way. If you have no war going on at all, is it a time to invest in warships? Is it a time to invest in new bombs? In new missiles? Is the time when you do not need them the time to develop them? Yeah. Because when you need them, you don't have time to develop them. The reason that World War II was won was because one side developed some things that the other side didn't. And I don't just mean the atomic bomb. If you study, how many people really studied World War II outside of Pearl Harbor? I knew Daryl did. You go to school, they only teach you Pearl Harbor and maybe Mid... How many people know what Midway was? Oh, Midway, one of the most important battles that we face as a nation was the Battle of Midway. If it didn't happen for Midway, we may never have uh, won the Pacific. Huge battle, great importance. There's a nice movie out about it. If you don't want to read about it, go watch the movie Midway and uh, you, can, you can learn about that. But there's a lot of other battles that had gone on there too. But along the way in World War II, what would happen was we would make a development in the naval area and the Japanese and the Germans would have to catch up. The Germans developed an, an aspect in aerial battle. They developed the jet engine. They developed it before we did. Or at least they had a mass production before we did. And we had to catch up. Because now their, their planes could circle around our planes. And we had to find ways to, to do that. We had to find ways to get around that. Uh, the U-boats, the, the ones who developed and produced the U-boats, the, the underwater boats first, had a distinct advantage. And you, so constantly you see this one get disadvantage, and then this one get disadvantage, and then this one get disadvantage, and then this one get disadvantage, and the war would go back and forth 
based upon the advances that we developed. But they were developing in more time situations. How much better you could develop them before. So he's got this peacetime and he's fortifying cities. Now let me read verse 16 again. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. The Lord had given him rest yet he is building fortified cities. How many want to bet when we get to heaven we'll find out that he had a word from God prepare. Get yourself ready. I'll bet he had a word from God to get out there and to do this and to prepare and to take some of the money that people gave in to taxes and begin to put it towards building up these fortified cities. I'm sure there's lots of people who are walking around there saying, we don't need to do this. We're not at war. Verse 7, Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Then verse 8, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows, all these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men. Now, let's get some people to do this math. We have 300,000 plus 280,000 equals... What's that? 580,000. Which is more, 580,000 or 1 million? 1 million. It's almost twice as much more. A one million person army comes out of Ethiopia. They had 300 chariots. 300 chariots. That means they rode behind the horses. They had people in them. Basically, if you want a way to look at this, they had 300 tanks, 300,000 tanks. Because a chariot in those days was like a tank in our day. You put one or two people in there and they could go faster than everybody else and they could do things and you couldn't get to them as nearly as easy. So, we got 300,000 chariots and he came to Marisha. So Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathath and of Marisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. Now, there are many people who are going to be the audience here who are going to be saying, Asa, you brought this on yourself. You're the one who cut down the high places. You're the one who, who burned up the idols. You're the one who did all these things. You are the reason that this bad stuff is happening. But he's got them all gathered together for war. They know they are outnumbered. They know they are out chariot. They don't have the tanks. They don't have the, that kind of uh, aspect of their army to go up against them. But here they are. Verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. 
And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. And they defeated all the cities around Gerar for the fear of the Lord came upon them and they plundered all the cities for there was exceedingly much spoil. So first we have that there was a lot, there was very much spoil and now after we got into the cities there was exceedingly much spoil. That's more. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So the enemy decided, you guys are following after God too much. You are pursuing the things of God. We don't like this. We want you to go back to the the old ways. And so they begin to to stir up the people around them. And the Ethiopians were one. And they came with this massive army. And they probably were sowing the thoughts into the people about how they had left the idols. And they probably had people that were mad with Asa. And they had people rise up and protest. But Asa still gets them all there. And despite all these people telling him how this is not going to work, how God is against them, he stands up and says, God, you can deliver us. And he goes on out and he fights. They didn't see the angel of the Lord show up and start wiping them out. They had to go out to battle. But they go out to battle and the Lord helped them in the battle. And they defeated the army that came against them. And after they defeated the army, they went after cities and they went after a whole lot of stuff. And then after they attacked the cities, they said, hey, let's not stop there. Look at all that livestock. Let's go get us some camels. Let's get us some more sheep. Let's get us some more oxen. Whatever it is, let's go get some. And so they went out there and they got it. They didn't go out here to do this. These people came after them. They started the fight. But they said, we're going to finish this fight. And they went out and finished it. And they carried back a whole lot of stuff. So what you had is in the beginning, it looks bad. The enemy wants you as an immature person to question, why am I here? Why is God allowing this? Why should this happen to me? What bad things did I do? Instead of having confidence in the Word. God, you didn't tell me I was messing up on anything. You didn't tell me that I came up short on anything. I've been doing the things that you have been telling me in my spirit, telling us by the prophets to do, and we have been doing them. This is just the enemy trying to get us to come back to all the things that we left. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna go after these things. We're gonna stay with what God has said. So Asa trusted what God said. He trusted what God said. He says to the Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with few. And instead of defeat, they found abundance here. Now remember the measure of maturity. Remember, remember what it is? What I speak to others, what kind of things does Asa speak to the people that are around him? We need to put away sin. We need to put away the idols. We need to pursue God. We need to worship Him. We need to go out before the enemy. There are more on our side than are against us. Stuff like that. God can deliver with many or with few. So what he is speaking to others is based on the word, not on his feelings. You can see, and this is what I want you to understand, Asa is in a place of maturity. He is a mature person. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, what kind of things do you think he's telling himself? Oh, Asa, 
Why did you have to do that? Why did you have to quit this? Why did you burn that? Why did you knock that down? Why didn't we do these things? He doesn't do that. He is speaking good things to himself. He is thinking good thoughts. He is speaking good things to other people. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, what I pick up, or what I put away. You can see he has put away a lot of the things that held this country back, and he has picked up the things that they had let go, that God wanted them to pick up again. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. He said it's been a long time since Israel has gone, come back to these things. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, but for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. If the enemy can get you to question, why does he, is this bad thing happening to me? He can get you to become weak. He can get you to begin to second guess yourself. Well, why, why did this happen? Something must have happened. I must be doing something wrong. I must not be able to stand before my God. If I can't stand before my God, how can I stand before my enemies? And we begin to question. So the word of the Lord came through Azariah. He said, be strong. He said, do not let your hands be weak. If he says, do not let your hands be weak, that means who's in control of that? I am. Do not let your hands be weak. I can't stop you from having your hands be weak, but I can stop mine from being weak. And the reason that they're, they're weak, I'm not doing the things to build them up. I'm not doing the things to put them out to, the, to, to go to work. I'm pulling back. Don't pull back. Going out there. Do these things. Do not let your hand be weak. Despite the success that they have had, there would still be opposition. There was a pattern of evil that had become established in Israel and Asa was breaking that pattern of evil. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. So once he saw that, once he, he heard the words of the prophet, he got even stronger and he went out there and, hey, there's still some idols I've left behind. I'm going to go get them. We've taken some lands from what used to be Israel over there in Ephraim. And they took those and they got rid of the idols in those lands. And he's just going out there getting rid of idols. He doesn't care what people say. You're not going to burn up my idols. He said, watch me. And he burned them up. 
He had renewed strength. Verse 9, Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they, they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So the places in the north, they said, Wow, God is down there. God is in the land of Judah. Let's go down there. We want to worship God in the northern kingdom. They're not worshiping God so much. But down there they are. That's why the northern kingdom was losing some of their territory. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa and they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil that they had brought. Now look at this. This is just an offering. This is not how much they got. Seven hundred bulls. Anybody priced out a bull recently? If you want to go out there and buy a bull and get all that meat and they cut it all up for you and put it in the freezer, you're looking at a couple of thousand dollars if you want that. That's per bull. They got so much, they didn't even cut it up and put it in the freezer. They just cut it up and burned it all. Sacrifice. They got 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep. They offered us a sacrifice to God. Just from the spoil. That's just a, a little bit we just took off from all the stuff we got. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers and with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to death. Now, I don't recommend you go that way. They're getting a little, a little strong on this. That's not the way that God wants it done. He wants people to make a free choice. He does not want people to be coerced into it. He wants them to choose whether they want to go the way of God or not. They're not letting them choose. You will worship God. If you won't worship God, we will kill you now. That's not the way to go. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God wanted them to do it. So, this wasn't quite the way that it should, should go. We saw this before in, the, in history. If you go into the Roman history, you saw first Christianity is, is illegal and people are being killed for it. And then one day, now it's the, the state religion. It's legal. And that's really when Christianity got corrupted. When Constantine made Christianity the, the religion of the Roman Empire. Corruption came in like they had never seen. This is not a good way to go. This is the way they went. But they got a little bit too, too much into this. Immature people will do this though. You'll, you'll see this. He's, he's been mature in a whole lot of areas, but you can still see there's a little bit of immaturity there. I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. That's controlling. That's from immaturity. That's not from maturity. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. We don't care who you are. We don't care if you're rich or poor, powerful or not. Don't matter. If you won't serve God, you die. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and a ram's horn. See, if you did it with a loud voice, now you know you mean it. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king from being queen mother. Wow. No one was spared. Because she made an obscene image of Asherah and Asa cut down her, her obscene image and then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. 
but the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. When Israel came into the land of Canaan, I am told from historians that in the land of Canaan there were certain very, very prominent, very well-known high places. In these particular high places, these were high places where certain idols were sought and very great miraculous things occurred by these demonic forces that were there. When Israel came into the land, those things were still there, but they were ignored. But eventually, they came around. You see, people learn, oh, the history. Oh, there's this high place. This stuff happened here at this high place. And their curiosity came in. And they began to seek after this because of curiosity. And they began to pursue. And these old high places were restored. They had great historic significance. The altars that were there were, were older than Israel was. And they, they came on into these things. But they were just curious. Sometimes people have gone out into places and they got curious about Ouija boards. They got curious about seances. They got curious about, um, what are those things they put in the newspapers? Um, horoscopes. They got curious about some of these things that are, that are going on in this area. And so they dabbled a little bit. Well, I'm just going to see if there's any truth to it. And they just began to dabble. And there was enough there that got their interest. And then pretty soon they went from not being interested in it at all to now they wake up in the morning and have to check the horoscope before they'll go out and do anything. Or they'll think nothing about getting together and doing a Ouija board celebration or, or a deal and, and seek after the spirits and see what they'll say to them. Don't dabble. Don't mess with it. Because it will pull you in like I pulled many people in and it pulled Israel in. And these high places were really tough these particular ones were really tough to get rid of. And as much as zeal as he has shown to get rid of the idols and some of the high places that Israel had set up, these ancient ones still seem to stick around. They didn't get rid of all of them. So the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. This is another key verse. Another good one for your refrigerator. The heart of Asa was loyal all his days. I put this in your outline. I wanted to make sure you got it. Too often we strive for perfection in actions instead of loyalty of heart. The enemy will push, push you this way. He wants you to pursue a different goal than the Word of God has shown us. God wants your heart loyal to Him. He'll get the actions to line up later. He is not nearly as concerned about the actions as he is the heart. If you can get the heart going, if you can get the heart true, that's what we need to have. You see, it's, how many people have ever trained a dog? It does not work for cats, only works for dogs. <laughs> Throw cats out, they don't have any business being here anyway. No. <laughs> if you like cats, that's fine. Um, but the the dog. You can have a dog with a good heart and bad actions. And you can have a dog with a bad heart and bad actions. Which one would you prefer? You see, if you have the dog with the good heart and the bad actions, you can get that dog to get rid of the bad actions. 
because the good heart of the dog wants to please you. Dogs are this way, they're just wired this way. They want to please the person they consider to be the top dog or the master. They want to please them. Certain breeds are more uh, geared up to that than others. German Shepherds are extraordinarily wired this way. Huskies, not so much. And other ones come in between. But they, they, all the dogs have this to a degree. They want to please the master. If your heart is right and your desire is to please the master, the master knows we can get rid of the actions. We can, get, we, we can stop the, you know, the piddles in the, in the kitchen. We can stop the chewing on certain things. We can, we can get rid of that. We can eventually work those things out. But, but the heart is right. And even though you know, that dog has just chewed up your favorite. Did, did your dog ever chew up something if it was favorite? Favorite thing of yours? Yeah, even though the dog chewed up something that was your favorite. You, you look at the dog and you see that the dog is looking at you and you can tell that the dog's heart is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I messed up, I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. And you see that heart in the dog and you just say, it's okay. Right, because you see the heart is good, and you hug the dog, and you bring the dog in, and everything is going to be okay. But you can find those dogs; their heart is not right. They're looking for an opportunity to kill you. Just wait till you go to sleep. See, you can't do anything about those actions. God is more concerned that your heart is loyal to Him than that your actions line up with everything. Because He knows we can get to the actions. It's the heart. What, is he, what did He say about David? He was impressed with His heart. His actions sometimes went off where they shouldn't go. But He was a man after God's own heart. He knew the inside. That's what was important. And Asa, his heart was loyal. Understand, Asa does not follow God all the time. There are times that he mess, messes things up. But nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. The enemy is going to try and push you into a direction to get your actions to line up, to get your actions to be perfect, to bring you under condemnation because your actions aren't right. God says, get your heart right. Keep your heart right. If you do, we'll get the actions to line up. We'll get you there. If we allow the enemy to steer us in the wrong direction this way, we will fail to accomplish God's objective. Oh, he doesn't want that to happen. Verse 18, He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. That means... They had about 25 years of no war. Now, if you go until the 35th year, how many years did Asa reign? 41. 41 years he reigned. So at year 35, what happens? There's war. Because we had peace until the 35th year of his reign, and then we had war. What's the measure of maturity? What I speak to others. What I speak to myself. And what I pick up 
or put away? What I pick up or what I put away? These are the things we have to focus on. Because as long as I am watching where I'm going and I keep my heart right and I'm looking around as I keep my heart right, He's showing me. You see that thing? You can get rid of that. Oh, I did not even realize I should have got... I'm getting rid of that because I want to. My heart is right before Him. And because of what He has spoken to me in His Word, I'm real careful about the words that I speak to you. I'm real careful about the words I speak to my husband, my wife. I'm real careful about the words I speak to my children. I'm real careful about the words I speak to my neighbor. I'm real careful about the words I speak to my co-workers. I watch the words that I say. I want to speak words of a mature person and not one who's immature. Immature is going to look at how I feel today, not about what is stabilizing my life. It's not going to look at how I got offended, my expectations. It's going to look like, God, what do you want me to speak into this person's life? What can I do to help them out? Those are the things that I'm going to want to speak. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself and what I pick up or put away. What kind of things am I picking up? Father, you told me, think the best of others. I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to hold on to that. You told me to love people like you love me. I'm going to pick that up. You told me to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to pick that up. I go through the Word of God. He tells me things about the love walk. I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to get this. I'm going to have this. And the more we pick up, the more I'm becoming like Him. Now see, when you pick up stuff, the easiest way to, to do it, uh, how many people go into the grocery store and brought home more than 20 items? Anybody ever try and, and do it all on one trip? You, you got like 20 items out there. and I can do this, right? I can do this. Uh-huh. And we get, and we got, you know, a few of them over here, and then we got a, uh, something in the finger. I can hold that in the finger, and we got a bunch of stuff in here. We're coming in. We got all this stuff in here, but I did it. I made it in one trip. Now, we can't go very far that way, can we? I got all these things I'm picking up and carrying, but I can't get very far. And in fact, if there's just one more, I don't know if you've ever had this, you know, you got 20 things in it. Oh, I missed one. I've, and we don't, you tell me if I'm right, Mac. We don't just, we don't just go, go into the house and drop down to 20 things and then come back out. No, that's for amateurs, right? What do we do? I'm going to find a way. I'm going to get that thing. Even if we sometimes drop a couple of things in the way, that's what we're not discouraged. I will pick up a couple more. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to find a way. Because it's more about I'm going to get 21 things into the house in one trip. And we're going to get it done. And so we work to, to get it. But we can't carry them that long. This is why a lot of Christians don't have the, pre- the, the, the things of God become part of their life. Because we're trying to carry all 21 things into the house. We're trying to carry them around with us. And they drop off. No. That's not how you do it. You see, the enemy got you focused on the wrong thing. He, didn't, he doesn't want you to change your heart. He wants you to pick up more things. God said, love this way. God says, don't do this. God says, oh yeah. And I, oh, I need to get this. Oh, and I need to get this. And I need to get this. 
But you see, we're, we're here and we've got all these traits in the Word of God. And I think i got to carry all these traits. So I got all my arms are just full. i got all this stuff that I'm doing. I'm not supposed to think on these things. I'm not supposed to speak these things. I'm not supposed to do these things. And I can't think I can pull up another one and I hear a sermon that says, do this. Oh, no! i got to get that other... How am I going to get that one on? And after a while, we just give it all up. I just can't carry it all. Oh. Max, I don't know if you ever have felt this when you're doing that, you know. I've done the same thing, you know. I've gotten 21 things in, in my hand. But we, we can't go real far, can we? Have you ever felt it where your arm is just about ready to, to drop? But no, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it into the kitchen. All we care about is getting into the kitchen. We can just cross the threshold and... Oh. <laughs> there they all go. That's what happens with a lot of Christians. We drop all the things... That are there. But you see, the Word of God doesn't say to carry these things. He says in His Word, He says, put on. Put on. And this is what we're supposed to be doing. Putting on. This is why God's not so concerned about all the little things that you're picking up. He's not so concerned about the actions as He is about the heart. Because what you can find out is this. If you can put it on, it's easier to carry. See, if I had to carry this, I only get so far. But if I have to carry these. And I got cufflinks on. My three grandkids, I guess I have to get new ones pretty soon. <laughs> if I was carrying them. What about my boots? If I was carrying the boots. I could be carrying all these things, but how much easier is it if we just put them on? It's not a big deal. We just put them on. I saw the, I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, I don't have too much of a need for it, but people that travel, there's a particular company, my brother told me about it many, many years ago, um, Scott Evest. Anybody ever heard of Scott Evest? It's a, it's a company out there, and they make coats with thousands of pockets. Actually, it's not thousands, you can get one that has 20, you can get one that has 30, you can get one that has 40, you can get one that has 50 pockets all over and it's just a, a coat that you would wear outside but it's got po- you can put an iPad in one of the pockets you can have a phone over here you can have pens over here you can have your your headphones piped up through the back coming out up over here and into your ears you can have uh, places for all sorts of stuff that you would carry and it's in the sleeves it's in the, the front it's in the back it's all, it's all over the place and then you just walk on through and all your stuff is in your coat you just put the coat on and you're carrying all your stuff. Now, I've, I've looked at that and I thought, boy, what do you do when you go through the airport? <laughs> I mean, holy cow, that's got to be real fun. But you see, if you will put on these qualities instead of just carrying them, instead of just picking them up, instead of just, I'm going to think these things today and I'm trying to pick it up and I'm trying to hold it and all of a sudden I drop it. No. Learn to put them on. See, this is why God doesn't get so concerned about all the actions. He wants you to get this one, and He wants you to get it so that it's on. I go from carrying this, this pen to having a place where it is. I can put it in there. And then I, I get something else. And, uh, oh, oh, look at that. I got a pocket. I can put it right in here. And then I get something else, and I make it part of me. And see, I'm, I give it a, a place in my life. You're going to be in, in this pocket. 
over here. Oh, and I got a pocket down over here. I'll put that in here. Oh, and, and I got this. I'll put that over in here. And see, I'm picking up all these traits that God wants me to have, but I'm wearing them. I'm wearing them. It's no longer something that I have to remember. It's no longer something I have to concentrate on. I, I know it. If you've ever seen me outside of, a, outside of Sunday, uh, Sunday, I do not have this, these things on. But if you, anytime, anytime outside of Sunday and Wednesday, if you come upon me, you will find n- a number of things on me. One is a flashlight. I always have a flashlight on me. There is never a time outside of Sunday morning and Wednesday that I do not have a flashlight on me. I always have a flashlight on me. My kids know I always have a flashlight on me. They come up, pop up, can I use your flashlight? They don't say, pop up, do you have your flashlight? They say, pop up, can I use your flashlight? They say, pop up, can I use your knife? Because right next to the flashlight is a multi-tool that has a pliers, knife, scissors, saw, all sorts of stuff. It is always there. No matter what, I can grab for it. Now that I know that it's always there, I constantly find use for it. I use that thing once, twice, three, four times in a day. I may use that sucker. Why? Because it's there. It's made room in my life. If it wasn't there, if I didn't know it was there, I wouldn't keep finding ways to use it. But it's there. I just, I just go for it. I, I grab that. My wallet is always in my pocket. I've got other things that, that you keep that you always have with you. You know that they're there. Get so that these traits are always there. They will mature you. They will grow you up. But you can still do things as a mature Christian and tear yourself down. We're going to take a look at that next week. We're going to take on chapter 16. Let me give you this part. The best way to have good support people or good friends. How many like to have good friends? Good friends. A lot of your support team is going to come from your friends. It's good to have friends in there. But a good way to have good support people around you is to be mature. You yourself, you need to be in a place where you are mature. If you get yourself to a place where you are mature, you will have better friends. Max, how much do you like playing with someone who wants to do the things that you want to do and not always the things they want to do? Yeah. A mature person is willing to do what someone else wants to do. An immature person wants to do what I want to do, and that's it. And so, you probably don't play with a whole lot of those folks. No, you only want to do what you want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with that. If you want to have a team of people that are good support, you've got to be a good support yourself. You've got to be a person who is mature, who walks in these qualities. That's the first thing. But the best way to have good support people around you is to be mature and, here's the first one, attract other mature people. Attract other mature people. You will attract immature people into your life. You will do it. Just just understand, you will attract immature people into your life. It's okay. Don't try and drive them out. You're there to help them. You will attract immature people, but you're looking to attract some mature people. Because the mature people are the ones that are going to stay with you when it gets tough. They're the ones, when the battle comes against them, they pick up their sword and they say, let's go. The immature people, the battle gets around them and they say, I'm out of here. I did not sign up for this. But you've got to attract other mature people. 
You're only going to do that if you're mature. The more mature you are, the more mature people you will attract to you. That's why it's important that you get mature yourself. Here's the second one. Develop other mature people. If you will attract other mature people and develop other mature people, you will have a good team around you. But it's up to you. David developed mature people around him. He took a lot of immature people, but he developed them into very, very mature people. The immature people that are in your life can be developed into mature people, but only if you walk in mature principles. It's the only way it's going to happen. So I've got to study from the Word what are the mature principles. I've got to keep coming out to my life and doing the measurement and checking myself out. What is, what's the measurement? Four things. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, what I pick up, and what I put away. These are the things that will, that you can, there's other stuff too, but these four things will give you a, a good idea. What kind of things am I picking up? Am I picking up things that God doesn't want me to pick up? Am I picking up traits that go against His Word? Am I putting away things when God says, See this? This is not godly. I am going to put that away. I'm not going to have that anymore. Now, how many have ever been around a little, little toddler baby, little baby, and they have the binky? And there comes a day. How many of all remember the day? The day came. The binky is going away. Happens. You know, the security blanket goes away. Linus never experienced this. He's still carrying it around. But there comes a day when the security blanket gets put away. There comes a day when the binky, it gets put away. And what happens to the person that depended on the binky? <laughs> That's what I Max has got it. Yeah, we are upset. We're crying. I want it. I want it. I want it. There are going to be some things that are in my life that I'm comfortable with, I like. And God's going to say, Steve, that's holding you back. The way that you speak about that, the way that you talk about that, the way that you think about that, that is holding you back. You need to put it away. And when I put away childish things, I can grab hold of the maturity that I want. But these are the things that we need to do. Would you all stand up with me? Next week we're going to look at how the mature can become immature. And we're also going to look at some of the characteristics of the mature. What are the characteristics that really show us a person is mature? Because a lot of times we have looked at characteristics and we were surprised. I don't know about you, I was, I was surprised. I looked at some characteristics and said, boy, that person is mature. And then I found out, oh, they were not mature at all. What are the characteristics? From God's point of view, what does God see as these important characteristics because they'll help me to make sure that the people I'm going to rely on, they need to be mature. You can still have other people in your life, but too often we have relied on people that were not mature. When they let us down, we blame God. God, why did this happen to me? Why did you let this go on? Father, I thank you that you have a way for us to grow in our maturity. You have a way for us to grow the maturity of those that are around us. That the things that throw us today won't be the things that throw us tomorrow. 
we're growing. The things that seem to be overwhelming for us today are not overwhelming for us tomorrow. There are many people who face all sorts of things in this world, this current world. There are people at work who are facing mandates that go against what they want to do. It causes them to have to do things they don't feel they should. But Father, these things that are being put upon your church, I thank you that you bring these false things to light. And I thank you that you give us words to speak as mature people and not as immature. Because we can deal with these things that we know that are not right as one who is immature and not gain the victory. Or we can deal with them as one who is mature and gain victory no matter what happens. I thank you for it. Thank you for the strength that you give us, the words that you speak to us. And Father, we will endeavor to only speak those words that you tell us, to not feel compelled to speak to others things that we feel, things that we wish were true, things that we sense, but to speak the things that are true, that are in your word, and that the Spirit of God leads us to say. We will speak to ourselves the things that make for growth, the things that keep us in the walk of love, that keep us thinking good things about our God, about the people that are around us, about His purpose for us here. We will find things in your word that you talk about. These are good for you to have and we will pick them up. We will find things in your word that you say, you don't need these, these are childish. And we will put them away. Because our goal is to grow and to mature in you. I thank you for the help that you give us in it. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Just before you go, I did get the chance to talk with Jackie. She is expecting to come back either Monday or Tuesday. Um, they're still working some more things out with the doctor, but the, she did have a, a time and they revamped all her dad's meds and they have him on some things to get uh, one of the counts that was low on him uh, up. She's not sure how long that will take. I asked her, you know, is that weeks or uh, how long does it take before they expect the numbers of that to go up? But uh, she did say that uh, because of his diabetes, he was uh, immune to some of the pain that he was feeling. And they think that's uh, why this probably happened, but he's had actually more heart attacks than he was aware of. And um, they just say his heart is more beat up and in worse shape than they had thought it was from the stress test. So right now they're not giving him very long, uh, but they're not sure if they're talking weeks or months or what it might be. So she is working mostly on getting him ready to make sure that he's, he's ready to, to make the, the trip. But along the way, some people have been sent along. She mentioned uh, two people to me. One just happened to walk into the room and began to minister to him uh, about the things of God. And so that was... Uh, I was real encouraging to, to Jackie to be able to hear that. But um, you can be praying for, for him that the message of salvation would be certain on the inside of him and that he would know that uh, where he would be going next because that's the most important thing of, of all is that, uh, that Jackie knows that in the, the next life we get to see each other all again. She has some more things she's dealing with with her mom too to get things ready in that area so she can uh, use the wisdom of God in these things and I know that she appreciates your prayers it's good to see Deb back 
and the success you had over there. I know some of you've already wandered on over to chat with her about some of that. And um, yeah. all, all very good. All right. Have a blessed rest of your day. Bless some folks before you.